I'm telling you, it's it's the best thing. It is the best thing ever. Um, and I know that you probably think, well, he has to say that because it's his church and stuff. I don't have to say that. I'm telling you, it is really, really good. So um, please just try it out. So it's May 31st, our first one. It's Wednesday nights from 6.30 to 8.30, and it is going to be very, very good. Plus, bonus, I always will tell a joke before we start. That's like free, free joke. The joke you don't have to pay for. It's free. And another little added bonus is the, the Todd and I serve food, and it is hilarious. We are very funny. Um, so looking, I, let me finish. So um, I need to say happy Mother's Day. Uh, I, I, I just have to warn you, um, I'm, we're not... Some churches you go to, and on Mother's Day, they have a special Mother's Day message. And on Father's Day, special Father's Day message. And on Groundhog Day, special Groundhog Day message. And, like, we just, the importance of what we are doing and what you are doing as a mother, as a, a father, as a, a husband or a wife, the importance of, of preaching the gospel, is, it's just too important. I can't take a, a week off and give you some fluffy mother's day message because whenever i think of the mothers in our church i think of the tent peg and the head lady so i mean that's y'all y'all are like hardcore like all about jesus women and so that's who i'm going to preach to today is that okay with y'all it doesn't matter because i've already prepared the message so i'm not going to change it like no give us fluff like too bad so um the proverbs 31 woman is not she is not uh, a star because of what she does though you have a list in proverbs 31 of all the things that she does she's uh she's a star because of of how she does these things she does everything she does with valor not kind of meekly as as uh set to the side um i've heard many people say that uh that the bible really oppresses women i just that's they're reading a different bible than i'm reading because the bible actually exalts women and says look your role is too important to just kind of push to the side. You are not going to sit in the background and let the men do the real work. That's not how it works. Like, that's just not how it works here at Life Church for sure. And that's just not how it works in life, in our relationship with Jesus. You have a, a super important duty as women and as mothers. So do it with valor. Do it with your whole heart. Are y'all with me? So um, as Christians, your highest calling is not motherhood. It's not being a woman. It's not being a wife. Your highest calling is to follow Christ. So follow him with valor. Amen. All right. So that's the end of the Mother's Day message. I uh, hope you liked it. Um, this time in the message, if you're not used to what we do here, this time in the sermon, I talk about current events. One of the questions in this past week and our life groups, I'm trying to look up because I don't want to call anyone specifically out. So... One of the questions was, do you like that uh, the culture update that Randy gives? And some people, I mean, most people liked it. Uh, some people didn't, and it's fun. Uh, some people some people were like, yeah, we don't, like, don't do that because it causes arguments. Well, don't argue. Like, you know how, you know, arguments aren't one-sided, right? You have to, it's, it's just somebody yelling if it's just one-sided. You don't have to say anything back. Just let them have their wrong opinion, right? So, um, so anyway, let's talk about some things. First of all, I just got to say, if you didn't see the video I posted about immigration, um, go on Facebook or uh, the other places where you can get videos. And um, 
really the main point is, if you want to know the answer to, to what we're facing is prayer. Prayer. And I don't mean like like the the Sunday school type of soft, like, let me just pray for you. Like, no, not Ned Flanders type of prayer. We're talking about like real submitted lives, like the world-shaking prayer. The kind that you believe actually God hears with his ears. So that's the kind of prayer. We have to pray for our country. We have to pray for the future of our country, if there is going to be one. And we have to pray for our children because the world they're going into is going to be much harder than the world you grew up in. So we're going to pray for them, right? And this past week, Title 42 ended, which uh, is uh, fancy words for the government now will not send anyone back. Um, so what they're doing now, and I've heard reports from people I know down there. This is what they're doing. People will cross the border and claim asylum. And so they hand them a cell phone and a court date. And the court date is in 2027, just so you know. And they say, all right, go ahead. We'll call you. They're coming back to that court date, right? I want to be clear. I am, and I think most people that I know are for immigration, legal immigration. Because the, the reason we, it's one of the things that makes America so great is, is we want people from outside coming in, but not just anyone. It's the same reason in my video I said, it's the same reason you lock your door when you leave home. Because you don't want just anybody coming in your house. You only want people that you have vetted and you know aren't going to do evil things in your house or take your stuff or bring stuff that you don't want in your house. So you make sure you lock your door. And that's the same. We should have locked our borders so that bad people can't come in and bring bad things in. And, and that it's just so we're for it. OK, it doesn't mean that we think that everybody that comes in is bad. They are, they are not. A lot of them are just looking for a better life for their family. You can't blame them. Unfortunately, with the way that it's working now, anybody can come in. And there are people that are bringing illegal things. People are making billions of dollars. Bad guys are making billions of dollars because they're like, oh, we can get into America. We can get drugs. We can traffic children into America. And, and we're, we have to be against that, right? We have to be praying against that. So that's a huge, huge thing. So I, I want our church to be a church that is praying for the good, for God to move. And he will. I believe he will. I know that you believe that too, right? Have y'all heard of a guy named Daniel Penny? Daniel Penny was, he's a Marine veteran. And uh, he was on a subway in New York City a couple weeks ago. And uh, someone with a mental illness was attacking someone. And so he grabbed the, the guy with the mental illness and he was holding him down as other people were holding his arms. And the guy ended up dying. This is a Marine veteran who is trained to protect people, okay? They arrested him this week for that act of protecting someone because the police were not there. The police, like, the police can't handle all of the mental illness that's running rampant, and so they arrested him. And knowing the Marines that I know, that guy, even though he was arrested for doing it, he'd probably do it again right now to protect someone. And so that is... The reason we talk about the crazy world that's happening on the coasts is because that's all coming here. It's all coming to us. We get the the really the Christianized version of it right now, but it's not going to be like that for long. It's all coming to where we are. So we have to be ready to to deal with it when it comes, right? So let's get into the Gospel of John. Let's change gears. Previously on the Gospel of John. 
we're in the Gospel of John. We have been in the Gospel of John for, this is the 53rd message of the Gospel of John. And we're going to get through this eventually. Maybe Jesus might give us the last few messages because he'll return before we finish, but it's okay. So we're in the last week of Jesus' life, and a few days earlier, Jesus, in his power, raised Lazarus from the dead, and there are a lot of people who saw what Jesus did, and they're like, this is awesome. This guy is the guy. And so we are at what is called the triumphal entry into the city of Jerusalem, where they're yelling out, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And they're, they're screaming out, they're saying, Jesus, he is our king, and, and they really believe this. We know because we know the story. We know what's going to happen just within the week. They're going to change their minds. But right now, this is the triumphal entry. And, and we have this group of Greeks comes up. Remember that. I'm going to ask you again in a, in a little while, who is Jesus talking to? He's talking to a group of Greeks. That's important because the Greeks were not part of God's people. They were outside of the family of God. So there was no way. And historically, there's no way for a Greek person to go to heaven because they were outside of the family of God. And so God has, in this, has made a way for Gentiles, people outside of the family of God, to know him. And it's beautiful, because there are Jews and there are Gentiles. 99, maybe 100% of the people in here are would be under the category of Gentiles. There's a way for us to know God, because he made a way. So, it might not sound like at first, like, what, what's the Greek thing have to do with it? It has everything to do with what we're talking about today. So John uh, verses, verse uh, 12, 23. But Jesus answered them saying, the hour has come that the son of man should be glorified. We've seen over and over when he's talking about the hour has come, this special moment in history. Everything in history was leading up to this week in Jesus' life. Everything pointed to this time. And, it, and this is the hour that has come. And John 7, 30 says, Therefore they sought to take him, but no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. The hour is here. The hour that has been, he, he's referenced this several times in the, in the Gospel of John. And the hour is finally the special hour that Jesus is going to be glorified. Right now, he's going to be glorified. We too, one day, will be glorified. The ones of us that know Jesus will be glorified. In 1 John 3, 2, it says, Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. That, imagine that we shall be like Jesus one day. Like, you know you, right? And you know how terrible you are. And one day, you will be like Jesus. That's a very very strong statement. So how is it possible? How could we possibly be like Jesus? Is it like a process or something? I'm glad you asked. That's a good question. The next verse, most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. Now listen, when you're reading your Bible, and you see something that starts, a statement that starts, most assuredly, some of you may have Bible versions that say, verily, verily, I say unto thee, or truly, truly, I say unto you, or in, in, in the version, if I was rewriting a version, I would be like, hey, that's, he's like, look at this, pay attention. Y'all are like, y'all were not listening and now you are, good. 
I did that one time and the lady dropped her coffee. Like as a <laughs> I'd be getting in trouble. So anyway, he's like, hey, listen, what I'm about to say is super duper important. Unless I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. The bear it's the burying of grain, a grain of wheat that causes a seed to sprout. The only way it can be fruitful is if it dies. The only way you can be fruitful is if you die. The old you dies. We are being made into a new creation. The new you is the fruitful you. The old you was bringing about just death. If a grain of wheat stays dry and safe above the ground, it stays a single grain. But once the grain is buried in the ground and is dead, we would call that oh, another symbolic way that we're buried is called baptism. When we're baptized, we're going into the grave and we're coming out alive, new. So it's, it's symbolic. Look, we don't really kill you. So if you're worried, like, they're going to drown me. No, you're probably not. I've had many times, because I've, I've baptized many teenagers. Like, I've probably, honestly, I've probably baptized 700 teenagers in my life. And of those 700, many parents have said, can you hold them under a little longer? They got some extra, I got some extra bad. You need to, like, come wash it off of them or something. Hold them under a little longer. Wait till they start kicking. It looks probably be okay. Like, so I've never done that. But it's it's this death. It's a, the symbolic death. That we, we go into the grave and we come up just like Jesus. We go into the grave and we come up. And that's when the germination, the, the death of the seed, and it then it can produce many other grains of wheat. If you want to be fruitful, if you want to be do the things God's called you, you can't do it. You have to die in the new creation that comes up. That's the one. So we have baptism on, the, on May 28th. It's the last Sunday of the month. If you've never been baptized, I want to challenge you right now, figure out if it's something that you can swallow your pride. The only reason, if you're a Christian, the only reason you haven't got baptized is because of pride. Okay? So you're like, amen. The people that have already been baptized are like, amen. Yeah. Them up people over there, they need to got some pride over there. Like, <laughs> but so if you've never been baptized, then I want to challenge you. It's your time. Let's do it. Like, and, and I'll even tell you, don't pray about it. You're supposed to do it. You don't have to pray about it. You're like, God, should I, should I get baptized? Yes, you should. The Bible's really, really clear that you should get baptized. And you're like, well, I don't understand all the things. I don't know all the Bible. I don't know this. I don't... Get baptized. Okay? Okay. Okay, no one's getting baptized. <laughs> it's fine. I pushed for it, and we went, we're going for it. All right, John 12, 25. He who loves his life will lose it, and he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. This phrase is in all four of the Gospels, which means it is very important that we understand this. In Matthew, he says it like this. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? There's this sense of that you have to hate your life. Be clear. It doesn't mean hating life. We don't hate life. We love life. We hate the things that we grab onto. 
the things that, that define us in this life. So it, it just means that there are things of this world that we have to hate in comparison to the, the eternal things that God is calling us to, right? Are y'all with me? So we have to be super careful of the things that define us. We have to be super careful of the things in the world that we cling on to, that we grab a hold of and say, this is who I am. You'll know what those things are when you meet someone new and, and they say, what do you do? Or what is your life about? Or where do you work? What? And then you, you say all the things like, my name is this. I'm a terrible small talk person. If you're new here today and I tried to small talk you, I'm sorry. Like it was awkward for both of us. So I'm, I'm really sorry. I'm just really bad at it because I'm like, I, I'm super weird. Like, I don't know what's wrong with me. There's something wrong with my wiring. So I'm like, hey, how are you? My name's Randy. I'm the pastor. What's your deepest, darkest secret? It's like, probably shouldn't have said that. Like, I'm just really bad at it. But when you do that, you're like, you start to say, once you get through all the little small talk, then you'll start to talk about, just naturally talk about the thing that defines you. You're like, I do CrossFit. Like, okay. <laughs> or I ride a Harley Davidson. Like, dude, there's things you just, if you do those things, you just can't help but talk about it. So, um, Y'all know people, or if they're vegan, like, just automatically, they're like, I'm vegan. Like, we weren't even talking about food. Shut up. <laughs> Weird. <laughs> so, we have to be careful on the things that define us. Jesus should probably come up in your first conversation. I uh, I, I golfed with somebody this past week that, uh, that I had no idea what his spiritual affiliation was. So, this is the way I do it. I say, where do you go to church? If they don't go to church, we're going to be like, I don't go to church, which is exactly what this guy said. And he had been golfing with us for a while. So he saw that like I can easily and, and golf is like one of those things that, that Satan put on the earth to try to tempt Christians to be bad. Like you cannot you can be someone that never cusses, but if you go golf, <laughs> might happen. I can tell you I I, I don't care. I would have to think about it. And if I'm gonna think about it, I'm not gonna say it. But I begin mad. <laughs> just very clear. So, uh, but by this time I asked this guy, where does he go to church? I had already established that, that I'm a pretty solid guy. I'm not like, I don't get mad and, and I'm not cussing this up. So, uh, we connected with the guy really well and it was, it was really cool. But if you just ask somebody, where do you go to church? Cause I want people to understand what defines me. It's Jesus. Jesus defines me. And, and he comes up in all my conversation, maybe not all of them, but he comes up in a lot of my conversation because that's what I'm about. It's just, I'm about Jesus. You're about Jesus too, right? It doesn't mean every conversation needs to be about Jesus. Don't be one of those weirdos. Because they're like, oh, Jesus, where's here they go? Like, ne like nobody's going to listen to Ned Flanders telling them the gospel. You know, he's like, howdy the hell, neighbor. It's like, you, y'all know who Ned Flanders is, right? If you don't, where have you been since 1991? Fighter. Lots. I'm going to switch gears here. Lot in the book of Genesis, uh, the city of Sodom is very similar to Las Vegas. Las Vegas is also known as Sin City. Um, another Sin City nearby us is called Austin. So anyway, um, the <laughs> it's so funny to me how much Texans hate Austin so much. Why do y'all hate Austin so? Austin is beautiful. Wouldn't it be great if there were no people there? Like, Boston would be great. So y'all just need to calm down, okay? 
So Sodom is this terrible place where every sort of sinful pleasure a person could imagine was just running rampant. And so first when we see Lot, he's near Sodom. And then, and, and Lot was a godly man. And then, then the next time we see Lot, a few chapters later, he's living in Sodom. So first he's kind of, I mean, see if you can like recognize this pattern. First, it's like, no, I would never. And then you're like, well, let me just smell it. And you just keep getting closer and closer and you would never. It, I, I talk to teenagers about like when teenagers are dating. It's like two Christian teenagers dating. I'm going to go through this real quick, okay? Two Christian teenagers are, are dating. their boyfriend and girlfriend. They're like, we're never going to have sex before marriage. Never. We would never. We are godly young people. And so we're never, we're not even going to do any physical contact whatsoever. And then one day, they're riding along in the car and their hands accidentally touch. And then they're like, okay, we can hold hands, but we're never going to do anything more than holding hands. We're never going to kiss. And then they're, you know, walk to the door, the porch, and it's like, just a little kiss on the cheek. And a little kiss on the cheek turns to a little kiss on the lips. And, well, okay, but we're never going any further. You know how this goes, right? Oh, so you've been around. So, okay, so you know. And then it just, it escalates to compromise, a little compromise at first. And this is the pattern of sin. This is how, this is how your enemy sets you up. Like, instead of staying away from sin altogether, like, no, 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 no. I'm just going to keep it over there. I'm going to flee from impure things. You're just like, I wonder what it smells like. And it's just you, you, little by little, and you, you're drawn in, and you're drawn in, and you're drawn in. So this is kind of Lot. Lot is just drawn in, and he's now he's living in Sodom. And when, when God warned Lot to flee Sodom because of the judgment that was coming, Lot was very reluctant to leave sin city sodom and all it took was a couple of angels to drag him out of town and him and his family they're all going out of town and and they didn't want to leave they wanted the life that they had it was comfortable they and so they're going out of town and we know about lot's wife real salty lady so that was a little better than y'all gave me credit for Lot's wife looks back and she looks, she looks back at the old life and boom, she turns into a pillar of salt. When I first read that, I thought it said pillow of salt. So I thought it was really strange. It's like salt in a bag. So she turns into a pillar of salt. And she loses her life. Jesus said, remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to save his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life will preserve it. Don't look back. You look back at the good old days. Those weren't good old days. You're looking back at all the good things, all the good times. You're not looking back at, remember when you would, you would go to sleep? Remember you were, it was dark and you were alone and you were broken and you were crying yourself to sleep and you're like, those were the good old days? Seriously? Those were the good old days? Remember when you would wake up with the hangover? You're like, Friday night was good. Saturday morning, wasn't it? You remember that? Those were the good old days? Those aren't the good old days. Your best days are ahead of you. We're gonna we're gonna come back to that in a little bit. But Lot's wife, Lot's wife wanted to save her life in the world. She couldn't let go of the worldly things. She lost her life as a result of not being able to let go. So we need to be careful about the things that we grab a hold of, right? 
Let me tell you about monkeys, okay? It's, it's normal a normal shift here. This is not even a weird thing. Trappers in Africa, they, they come up with the easiest way. You can chase a monkey all you want, but you are not going to catch that monkey. I don't care how good at parkour you are. You are not going to catch that monkey. So, or if it's like chasing a toddler. Like you can run as fast as you want, but they're going to sneak around and get away. So you, you can chase monkeys, but you can't catch them. But you, you, can, you can trap monkeys. And the way that they would do it is they would take a coconut or a gourd or something, and they would chain it up to a tree, something that couldn't be pulled away. And then they would drill a little hole in, in the coconut, and in, they would put inside the hole monkey treats. It could be something sweet. It could be rice. It could be something that the monkey wanted. So the monkey would be able to barely get their hand in there. And they would grab a hold of the monkey treats. And then they couldn't pull their hand out because they, they had the monkey treats. You know how to get let. All you have to do is open your hand and let go. And then you could get away. But the monkeys are stubborn little creatures. Not like you. Monkeys are stubborn. So they put their hand in there and they would grab a hold. And then, they, and then the trapper can come up with the club in his hand and say, I'm going to get you, little monkey. And then, they can, and then they can bonk the monkey on the head because the monkey will not let go of the monkey treats. Will not let go. I'm, let me ask you, what are your monkey treats? Because your enemy knows you better than anyone. Your enemy knows exactly what kind of treat to put in front of you that you're going to grab a hold of and you won't let go. Even with death impending right in front of you, you won't let go. You won't let go. You'll hold on to it. It's like, oh, this is me. Like, this is, this is mine. I can have, I worked hard for this. I'm going to keep this. And the Lord's like, will you let go of that? Will you let go of that? As soon as you let go of that, I'm going to hand you something better. But you can't grab a hold of what God has for you because your hands are full of the junk that you have for yourself. Don't you want what God has for you? But no, you're like holding your hands inside the coconut. And you're like, ah. If anyone serves me, let him follow me, and where I am, there my servant will, will be also. If anyone serves me, him my father will honor. So, look, far be it from me to make you uncomfortable, okay? But I'm about to make you a little bit uncomfortable, okay? I don't care. I already wrote. I told you. I already, doesn't, if you can agree or not agree with what I'm about to say, but I already wrote it. It's already gonna got a screen for it, so you're going to hear it. You could get up and walk out, I guess. Everyone's going to look at you. Most people agree that Jesus' teachings are good. You don't have to be a Christian to believe that the golden rule is a good, a good law to live by. You don't have to be a Christian to know that, that, uh, that you should serve people. You should, you should help people. You should give to the needy. You should do all these things that Jesus said. It's good to follow the teachings of Jesus, right? Every, everyone believes that. So Jesus says it's, it's more important that you follow him, not just his teachings. Following Jesus means going where Jesus went, doing what Jesus did. That's following him. Just believing in his teachings are not going to get you into heaven. If you, you can follow the golden rule your entire life, you're not going to heaven for that. You could, do all, you could feed all of the hungry in the entire world. You're not going to heaven for that. You don't go to heaven because you do good things. You go to heaven because you follow Jesus. There's a big difference in knowing who Jesus is, knowing what he teaches, and following him. A huge difference. So where does glory come from? How does glory come? It comes for us and for Jesus 
through suffering. Y'all love suffering, right? You're like, oh, please, Lord, give me some more suffering. We always, see, we think the world is supposed to be comfortable. If, if the Lord loved, you may have gone to these kinds of churches that say, look, any problem that comes up, Satan's after you. Satan's going to get you. So like you get a bad parking spot and you're like, oh, Satan, you're the worst. Like I, Satan's after me. I got the bad parking spot. Now it's, it's sprinkling. I got to get wet. Oh, man, Satan's got me. You catch a yellow light and then a red light. And you're like, oh, Satan. Satan changed that light. Now I'm going to be late. I'm late because of Satan. Like, okay, like we can get into that some other time. But you're late because you're an organ. So anyway, <laughs> I love y'all. We blame all discomfort and suffering on Satan's plan for our life. Because Satan's really focused on you. Specifically, not humanity, just you. Like Satan's really after you, right? Like Satan don't care about you. Satan does not care about you. You are not effective enough in your Christianity for Satan to really care about you that much. Boy, you know that, right? I'm just, I'm trying to be mean now. So, but we blame all discomfort on Satan. Did you know that, first of all, you do know that God is bigger than Satan, right? Do you believe that God is omniscient so he knows everything? Do you believe that God is all-powerful? So if you believe those things, then that means that Satan's not doing it, but even if he was, God could still use it for your good? <laughs> like four of you? Y'all are all amen and like, yeah, God's good, yeah, amen. So Satan can use, God can use Satan's plans for you and turn it into good, yeah? Like, But just so you know, <laughs> you're not going to like this. Sometimes that suffering and that discomfort is God's plan for you. Ouch. Yeah, it, it's on purpose. P purpose. Capital P, purpose. There's a purpose for your suffering. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed... We suffer with him that we may also be glorified with, glorified together. To follow him, not just listen to his teachings, but to follow him means that we suffer with him because he suffered. Real life doesn't come from treating yourself. Real life comes from dying to self. We're in a culture where it's like, treat yourself. It should be comfortable. Everything should be perfect. Where is the last place you slept and you didn't have air conditioning? We're trying to be comfortable. In every area of life, and I'm not saying air conditioning is bad, it's not. But we think that everything should be perfect all the time, and it's just not. And it's not for your good. Everything that happens to you, everything, God works all things together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purposes. Even the worst moment of your life. God will work that together for your good. And if you will realize that mentally and in your, in your soul, if you will realize that, it'll be good. And you'll go forward and you will, you will actually rejoice in the suffering. Always after. You know, we look back on suffering and be like, I'm really glad I got through that. You're never like looking forward to suffering. That's just, we, we just aren't capable of that. The problem with going through difficult times is that we get to difficult times and we're like, why God? Why did you allow Satan to attack me this way? Did, why did you abandon me? And Jesus said the grain of wheat 
becomes more fruitful when it dies. And a lot of times you have to die. Your flesh has to die. Your way has to die. Is God's way better than your way? Act like you're here. Is God's way better than your way? Yes, we know that. If God's way is better than your way, why do you keep doing it your way? I don't know. I'm dumb. I don't know. I don't know. I just keep doing it. I just keep doing it. In our minds, we think, I just got to reach higher for God's, the prizes that God has for me, the glory that God has for me. The, The treasures of heaven are higher on these higher and higher shelves. If I can just reach this next level, then I can reach all of the treasures that God has for me and I can reach up and grab them. That's not how it works. That's how the world works. If you want to reach for the treasures of heaven, they're on lower and lower and lower shelves. The treasures of heaven you find when you have bowed to him. That's where you find real glory. Real glory is not found being above. That's corporate America that you're worshiping. That's not Jesus. The, the, the way that it works, just if you take a worldly principle, flip it upside down. And that's how it works in the kingdom of heaven. Like you don't step on people to get up. You serve people to get up. You, you, you continue to, to give your life. See if this sounds familiar. If you give your life as a ransom for others so that they could know God. That's what Jesus did. That's what following Jesus looks like. We give our lives as a ransom so that others can know God. It doesn't make any sense in this world. People look at you and they'll be like, that doesn't make any sense. That's how you know it's a kingdom principle. If people look at you and like, you're crazy. Why would you do that? Like for the glory of God, I'm following my Jesus. And that's all I want to do is follow my Jesus. God's treasures are not on the high shelves that you can't reach to. Did you notice you, you can't reach as you go higher. You can reach as you go lower. It's easily accessible. And all you have to do is get rid of your way and do it his way. That's it. That's how simple it is for us. Just submit. Bow your heart. Bow your life. Let go of your stupid little monkey tree. Let go. That's not the best for you. So it goes on. He says, now my soul is troubled, but what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I came to this hour. Here is the hour again. This is the hour that Jesus came for. Over and over we see the hours, talking about the hour. Jesus isn't looking forward to suffering. He's even saying, Father, if you can, take it from me. In Mark, he says it like this. He went a little further and fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Jesus knew that all things were possible for him. He says, but take this cup away from me. But nevertheless, it's not what I want. It's not my will, Lord, but your will be done. In the end, you can give him. You can say, God, please, please make this happen. If it's your will, make it happen. But, you know, ultimately what I want is not my will, but your will be done because his is better. So Jesus said, for this purpose, this is the, the, for this hour that I came. Even though Jesus was struggling, he knows why he came to earth. That's why Easter is so much more important than Christmas. Because Jesus didn't come to be born. We celebrate it, of course. He didn't come to be born. He came to die. And so we, we celebrate his death on the cross and his resurrection. And that's where we're headed in this final week that's going to take 35 messages to get through, that uh, he knows the very reason for coming to the planet was the cross. And let's talk about the cross. Because 
pardon me for a moment while I preach the gospel. Y'all don't mind, do you? Good. Again, because the screens. The Bible, look, I'm just going to make it really clear. I'm going to make the gospel really crystal clear, okay? The Bible tells us that the result of our sin is death. The result of our rebellion against God is death. And, and that death causes eternal separation from God. In Romans 6.23, it says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. So you can pay the price for your sin. You, the debt that you owe, you can pay. But if you pay for your sins, that means eternal separation from God forever and all eternity. You have to pay for it. God doesn't want you to pay for it. So Jesus came to take your place and he came to die in your place. On the cross, God exchanged our sin for Jesus' goodness. It makes no sense. Again, it's flipped upside down. All of the bad things you've done, all of the evil, all of the rebellion, God says, give me that and I'll give you my perfect sin. It doesn't make any sense. When people say the phrase to me, it's not fair, this is what I think of. And they're not even talking about spiritual principles. They're like, my, my, my coworker who I work way harder than, they got a raise, they got a promotion. It's not fair. Like, shut up and work for Jesus. Like, stop working for the world and work for Jesus. When you work for Jesus, you have the best boss. The promotion that you're really looking for is a promotion in him and not a promotion that the world's going to give you because I promise you, if you work for him, if you do everything you do with passion and zeal as unto the Lord, I promise you, you will get the promotion. You will get the raise and it's far better because nobody can take it away from you. Nobody. So when people say it's not fair, I think of this. I think of, it's not fair. You're right. Life is not fair, but not in the way, in the exact opposite way that you're saying it right now. It's not fair that you get to have the glory of heaven for, and, and all you have to do is give God all of the bad things you've done and you get to have Jesus. It's not fair. And it says in 2 Corinthians, for God made Christ who never sinned, the perfect lamb, to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. There was a purpose in Jesus' death there was a purpose in Jesus' suffering. He did this because he loves us. I am so unlovable. And he loves me to death. We know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. Jesus knew this purpose and this is why this is the whole reason that God took on human flesh. He came to die. The only reason he came in the flesh is so that he could sacrifice it for you and for me. He didn't come to have an easy life. He came to die, and there was a purpose in his suffering. He said, Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. Therefore, the people who stood by and heard it said that it had thundered. These people hear God's voice saying these words, and they're like, was that thunder? No, it wasn't thunder. That was God's voice speaking. They heard words. And Jesus answered and said, uh, oh, wait, I skipped. 
Therefore the people who stood by heard it and said that it had thundered. Others said, an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered and said, this voice did not come because of me, but for your sake. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. Who's the ruler of this world? Satan with a lowercase s. Because we like to make him mad when we can. When Jesus was tempted, Jesus fasted for 40 days. And when Jesus was tempted by Satan, Satan offered to give him the kingdoms of the world. Because um, if he would just bow down to him, he would give him the kingdoms of the world. Because Satan was the ruler of this world. And Jesus didn't argue with Satan. He couldn't have said, well, you're not the ruler of this world. You can't give those. He, he didn't argue because Satan is the ruler of the world. So when did Satan become the ruler of the world? The, Satan became the ruler of the world when we sinned. When, he was, when Adam and Eve sinned, they're like, here, here's the keys. You can have this. And, and we, Satan became the ruler of you when you sinned. And until your sin is paid for, he's still the ruler of you. And none of us would say, go around saying, hey, please don't go tell someone. I got to say this. When you find out that someone you know doesn't know Jesus, please don't go tell them they're ruled by Satan. Please. I know how y'all are. Y'all are some, sometimes y'all going to be some Christian Karens. So please, please don't. Don't. So n now we know that, that, that Satan is the ruler of the world, but he will be cast out of the world. Right? Like we know y'all so y'all read the end too, huh? Like this is what it says later later in the Bible. The devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Satan's fate was sealed long before this happens. Satan's fate was sealed on the cross. That was the final the final judgment on Satan. It's like, look, death has been defeated. Death no longer has a sting for, for anyone who accepts, for anyone who receives Jesus. Satan no longer has any power over them, period, unless they give it to him. And we think, why would we do that? We would never do it. Oh, yeah? When's the last time you sinned? Don't tell me. But when we invite sin into our lives, we're like, hey, Satan, here's the keys. Why would we do that? I mean, we know we shouldn't. We need to continue to reach lower and lower to bow what we want because that's when we said is when we do what we want. We bow what we want and grab a hold of what he wants for us. Then sin no longer has any power on, over us. In Hebrews 2, 14 to 15, it says, because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, the son also became flesh and blood. For only as hum a human being could he die, and only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had the power of death. Only in this way could he set free all who have lived their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. We don't have to fear death. Y'all know this very clearly if you've been listening to me very long. I do not fear death. I welcome it. I want it. Like, not in a weird, morbid way, necessarily, but I'm not, when I see that light, trust me, I'm not going to be like, no, it's not my time. I'm going to be running to the light. Like, I am running to Jesus. I cannot wait to be with him. I love all of you. I love my wife dearly. But I love Jesus more. I really, truly do. Even though Satan's final demise won't take place yet, Satan's defeat has already been sealed. He can't win. All right, verse 32. It says, and 
And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. This he said, signifying by what death he would die. Who would he draw to himself? This says all people, so y'all can't see what I'm pointing at. All people, not some people. All people to himself. The, the Greek word for all people is pentos. Everyone, all people. All people will be drawn to Jesus. You have spoken to people who say, I just, I've tried, I just can't, I just can't believe in God. You may, you may have lost someone in your life and you're like, they didn't know God. There's no, they did not know God. You don't know that. You can trust that they were drawn to Jesus because the word says it. And no matter how we feel, no matter what we think we know, we trust the word more. We should trust the word more. You don't know. So if, if you, you don't know if they in, in one night accepted Jesus, you don't know if in the last moment in their heart, they, they, they turned their life over to the Lord. So what you know is that no one can enter the kingdom of heaven unless they go through the one who is the way, the truth, and the life. They all people have to know Jesus to get into heaven. They all people have to have that price paid for them. But we know in God's goodness that all people are drawn to him. And because all people are drawn to him, he said this, would, he said this signifying by what death uh, he would die. Jesus is not saying that all people are saved, but he is saying that all people are drawn. That, that, that knocking on the heart's door, all people have the same knocking. So um, he says, and if I am, oh, it's, it's, I put all people in caps so that we would all see all people. So it's important that we have the context. Who is Jesus speaking? I told you earlier, remember this, okay? Who is Jesus speaking to when he's saying all these things? He's talking to the Greeks. It's important to note that he's talking to the Greeks because the Greeks were, were Gentiles. They were outside. Those people were drawn to Jesus because the word says they were drawn to Jesus. Salvation is not just for the Jew, but for all people because of what Jesus did on the cross. Everyone, Pantos, everyone is drawn to Jesus. His attractiveness is, is seen by how we live our lives in Jesus. His, the, the, the way to draw people into a relationship with Jesus that don't know Jesus is that you just continue loving people and drawing people to Jesus. That's what it's about. Unfortunately, there are, like I said earlier, Christian Karens, they're some of the worst people. Christians can be some of the worst people. They're like, every time somebody does something wrong, they're like, you're sinning. Like, they don't even care or know what sinning is. Like, they don't care. Why don't you just try loving people? Because how we run our race is what is going to draw. Y'all know Christian Karens, right? Like, you know some people like that? Are they here? Do you, do you see them in this room? <laughs> there was, look, we golfed yesterday. I got to tell you this because it's kind of funny. We golfed yesterday and, uh, and it was cart path only, which means you have to keep the cart on the concrete cart path because, you know, it rained. And so the, you could damage the golf course if you drove on the parts and the grass, the wet grass. And so it was car path only. Well, 
it was a nice course. Bandit, it was a nice course. We pulled, I pulled off one time. Nick was going to drive by, and I pulled off into the grass so he could drive by, and I could get closer to my ball. It was just barely off the side of the, and some lady, some lady walks out in her backyard. It's like, she just slides in these really nice houses, and she leans on the fence, and she's like, it's car path only today, ain't it? And I'm like, come on. Thanks, Karen. She was right. It was carpet. And I was breaking the rules because that's how we do it. If we see, oh, trust me, guys. If the, I never want to walk on the grass ever, unless there's a sign that says keep off the grass. And then, like, all I want to do is walk on the grass. It doesn't matter. if This has nothing to do with anything. I was in an airplane one time. I don't can't tell. I can't remember if I told this story recently, but... Um, I was in the aisle seat. You know the seat, not the aisle seat, the uh, the emergency exit seat. It's the best seat in the plane because you have all the, the leg room. And so I was on there, and I'm sitting up against the, the window. I got the window, and it's got the emergency door and a big red handle. And so the airplane is in the air, okay? And the big red handle was like, right there. And I'm like, yeah, and so I think I'm, I got done with the crossword. It's not my fault. The crossword was easy. So I got done with the cross. And I look at the handle and I'm like, I wonder if that moves when, it's, when we're in the air. And I couldn't shake the thought. Okay. So I reach over to the handle and I'm like, it moved. I can't believe it moved. When we're in the air, it moves. The handle moves. And so I'm like, I wonder how far I'm going. <laughs> yeah, you know, you would think he's way smarter than that. No, it says do not touch. So I moved it a little more. So it only goes to here. And I was like, the first move was here. The second move was here. And so I'm like, I can't believe. I'm just talking, there's no one with me. I'm like, I can't believe that handle moves. Man, that door could... And then I realized who the first person that's going to die is. <laughs> so I'm like, I put it back and I literally, there was no one else in the aisle. I moved over to the aisle. Because I would not be able to stop myself from trying again. Because I would just keep going until I could see if it goes all the way. And I couldn't help myself because there's something, there's like a rebellion in my flesh that, in case y'all thought I was super holy because I'm a pastor, I am not. Okay. I am a worse Christian than most of you. I promise you. Not all of you, because I know all of you. But most of you. So it's just how we run our race and how we, how we, um, the attractiveness of the way that we live out our relationship with Jesus is what's going to draw people into a relationship with Jesus. It has to be real and it has to be authentic. You can pretend, you can put on that fake mask and make it look like you're all pretty all the time. And you're like, I woke up like this. No, you didn't, liar. Like you, you woke up cussing your husband out. That's how you woke up. Okay, don't even lie. Okay, so regardless, we have to finish the race. We have to do it well. See, Jesus knew what was ahead of him and he still chose to stay on track and still chose to follow what God had called him to. And he still chose to suffer because the prize at the end was you. You were worth it to him. And Hebrews 12, listen, real quick. 
read Hebrews 11, and then you see who they're talking about here, who probably Paul said, Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, in chapter 11, it's called the faith chapter, and chapter 11 talks about all of the people. Like, by faith, this person did this. By faith, this person did this. And over and over and over. And this is this great cloud of witnesses. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. You were that joy, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your soul. Put aside the weights that slow us down, the weights that trip us up. Put aside monkey treats. Lay aside all the things that we're grabbing a hold of and allowing to define us. We lay aside those things and we finish the race and we do it well because we all know what it's like to want to quit. And so we ask, is there purpose in my suffering? Is there purpose in your suffering? Is there purpose in your suffering? Wait, some of your suffering? All of it. It doesn't mean that God caused all the bad things to happen, but God allowed all of the bad things to happen. Is God all powerful? That means he allowed it. <laughs> oh, can you hear yourselves? You're like, is God all powerful? Yes. This, that means he allows it. Yeah, it's unfortunate. The suffering is unfortunate, but we rejoice in our suffering. We rejoice. You know why? Because there's a couple of reasons I'm going to give you that we can know that there's purpose in our suffering. The one is that he can use me in the lives of others. Would you suffer for the sake of salvation for your children? Yes. Absolutely abundant. Would you suffer for the sake of the salvation of your coworkers? Yes. Well, I'm going to say it just because some of y'all did really hate your coworkers. I'm going to answer it for you. So yes is the answer. So, and so we would suffer for the sake of others. Second Corinthians 1, 3, 1, 3 and 4. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves were comforted by God. Meaning, we go through a storm, we go through a trial, we go through a tribulation, and we get to the other side. Our very first thought on the other side of a storm should be to look back and say, who's still in the storm? Let me go help them out. I have a friend who is a, 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 like an elite level obstacle course racer. And he's like, like top notch. Like he's, he wins probably 90%, 95% of the races he enters. Every time at the finish line, when he goes and he crosses the finish line, he immediately, he doesn't cool off. He doesn't catch his breath. He turns around and he goes back at, and he starts yelling at the people. Run, Come on, you can do it. You're almost there. Let's go. And so he's, he's an incurred... That's how we should be in our relationship with Jesus, that we are, we get through a storm. And as soon as we get through a storm, we, we are comforted because, Lord, you delivered me again. Let's, let me see who I can help comfort. And you look back and you're like, come on, you put your arm around, come on. I know how to get, I know the way out. I know how to get through this. Come on, we're going to make it together. Let's go. And that's, that's, that's one of the great things about us suffering is we can comfort others, right? Another one is to refine our characters. This is a little less comfortable because it's part of us that has to die. It's the flesh part that has to die. We can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials. Don't you think that every time you run into a problem or a trial, you're like, hallelujah. Yes. 
we can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they help us to, de to develop endurance. And endurance develops strength of character. And character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And this hope will not lead to disappointment, for we know how dearly God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. Sometimes we don't like this, but sometimes it is only through the furnace of affliction, the furnace of suffering that removes the impurities in our character that allows us to be more like Jesus. Sometimes you don't learn it on the sunny days. Sometimes it has to be washed off in the thunderstorm. And we don't like it because it's uncomfortable and it's and we, we just hate it when we're in it. We come out on the other side and we look back and say, I cannot believe that I used to be like that. I cannot believe how messed up I was and how selfish I was living. And now I want to go back and I want to help others because my character is now, I'm a different person. I am a new creation. You may not know all the reasons. You're not going to know all the reasons this side of, of heaven, but that's okay because we know that we can trust him, right? We don't know what the future holds, but we know who holds our future. So this is why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day. For our present troubles are small and won't last very long, yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. So we don't look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. For the things we see now will soon be gone, but the things we cannot see will last forever. Meaning, the best is yet to come. The best part of your life in Jesus, whether you've been following Jesus for 10 days, 2 days, 10 minutes, 5 minutes, 1 minute, or 10,000 years, some of you are that old. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Your best days are in front of you. And I don't mean, yeah, the glory when I go to heaven. Yeah, they're in front of me. No, here in this life, your best days. Life Church, our best days are in front of us. If you're part of Life Church, you know that our best days, we're just, oh, we're just getting started. Like the, the effect, we will be able to look at New Brothels one day and Life Church will be a light in the city that if we were to disappear, the entire city would know. Because that's who, that's the direction we're headed. We are a light in this community and that light is going to increase and increase and increase as we continue to learn to follow Jesus more closely. Our best days are in front of us. Your best days are in front of you. And so you continue to reach down for the lower and lower treasures to get rid of all of the things that you're clinging to and to run after him. Amen.